Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me as always is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who got the pleasure of seeing the Cardiac Cats, aka the Memphis Tigers, in action this past weekend. How you doing today, Ethan? Yeah, me too. I mean, nail-biter games are always better when teams come out on top, even though it's mad stressful getting to that point. But, I mean, I get you. I mean, I had a similar experience with Mississippi State uh, versus LSU this past weekend. LSU pulled it out while my Ravens just crapped the bed, but it's all good. We got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, we are going to talk the Trey Lance injury and discuss if the 49ers are better off with Jimmy G as their starting quarterback. We're also going to talk the Saints versus Bucks confrontation, if Mike Evans' suspension was warranted. And then with regards to the NBA, we are going to talk the NBA executives' decisions as far as the top players under 25 they'd want to build a team around and say if we agree or disagree. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, like we do every see every game during the season, let's talk our college football player spotlight. And this is a guy, Ethan, I know who you are a big fan of, and that's defensive lineman for the Georgia Bulldogs, Jalen Carter. Now, we all know that the defensive front for the Georgia Bulldogs last year was loaded with talent, but Jalen Carter may be one of the guys who is who didn't see much playing time in 2021, but has a chance to really become a top five pick heading into this draft. Ethan, you are the defensive line aficionado. So what team do you think have a presence like him in their line? That's a pretty, that'd be a pretty nice duo to have up front. I mean, especially in seeing how competitive the Lions have been at the early part of the season. And I think that, like you mentioned, Aiden Hutchinson has been a really big part of that on the defensive side of the ball. So getting a guy like Jalen Carter in there would be a nice move. For me, it's kind of tough just thinking about who could use an interior lineman and especially considering where Jalen Carter could fall. But for the sake of conversation, I think I'm going to say... I'm going to say the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I know that there are so many questions with regards to their secondary and when they're going to put Kenny Pickett in, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's also worth noting the interior of their defensive line. We all know that Cam Hayward is a great edge rusher. TJ Watt, though a linebacker, has such an important role in terms of being a pass rusher. But since they lost Stephon to it, you can tell it's just a bit of a difference in the middle of that line. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi has been fine so far, but he's not going to be a long-term answer. You put Jalen Carter in there, and then I think you're really helping 
helping to rebuild the steel curtain that dominated the league for decades. But right, let's go ahead and recap week two around the NFL, or at least the games we saw so far. Starting with Thursday Night Football, the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the Los Angeles Chargers 27-24. Um, New York Giants are 2-0 now after beating the Carolina Panthers 19-16. The Patriots defeat the Steelers 17-14. Tampa Bay Buccaneers win a gritty game against the New Orleans Saints 20-10. The New York Jets come back against the Cleveland Browns to defeat them 31-30. The Baltimore Ravens complete the biggest choke of the season so far, losing to the Miami Dolphins 42-38. The Detroit Lions defeat the Washington Commanders 36-27. Jacksonville shuts out the Colts 24-0. Uh, the Rams end up having a dogfight with the Rams. With the Falcons, I'm sorry, 31 to 27. Uh, 49ers handles the Seahawks 27 to 9. Denver Broncos edge out the Texans 16 to 9. Arizona completes a wild overtime comeback against the Raiders 29 to 23. Cowboys upset the Bengals 20 to 17. And then Sunday Night Football, the Green Bay Packers defeat the Bears per usual 27 to 10. Factoring in last Monday night's game between the Seahawks and Broncos, um, I finished this week with a record of 9-6. and six. Ethan went 8-7. and seven. And as you know, uh, because we record our episodes on Mondays, we factor in the Monday night football results in the next week. So keep that in mind. So let's unfortunately start off with some injury updates, starting out of L.A. with quarterback Justin Herbert. After sustaining what looked to be a serious rib injury, uh, Brandon Saley said that he doesn't expect Herbert to miss time in his day-to-day heading up uh, north. Unfortunately, my main man, Jamal Adams is going to be out for the year after suffering a torn quad against the Broncos week one. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, quarterback Trey Lance is going to be out for the year after suffering from a broken ankle, which means it is once again Jimmy G time in the Bay. However, not everybody thinks that it is a bad thing. Anonymous sources close to the team said that players have secretly mentioned that they feel like they are a better team and more competitive with Jimmy G at the helm. And to be fair, this may be the case. They are coming off of NFC Championship appearance, did make it to a Super Bowl with him. So Ethan, European, do you think the 49ers are better with Jimmy G at quarterback? Uh, most definitely. I think the I think the thing of it is, is they have a higher ceiling as far as this season with Jimmy G um, than Trey Lance. But I think they have a far greater potential down the line having Trey Lance be the quarterback quarterback because um Jimmy G he's a proven winner. He's proven that he can win with that team. I mean, even last year, he took them all the way to the NFC Championship game, and that should gain some merit. I under like I think I understand the um the attraction around Trey Lance. Like he's a whole he fits he really fits today's NFL. Where he's a guy that's mobile. You can have him have um run quarter quarterback design runs, and he has really great arm talent. But I'm of the um, old adage, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like, Jimmy G has taken that team to a Super Bowl and the NFC Championship game. And granted, I don't think he's the best quarterback. Like, no way. In no way, I would say Jimmy G's a top 10 or a top 5 quarterback. But I think for what the San Francisco 49ers have on their team, he's been the best option for them from for the start 
even with the whole like switch the trade lanes, I wasn't a big fan of it simply because you're throwing a guy that out there that didn't have that much experience in college and, and just saying like, hey, we're just going to give you the reins to honestly a playoff slash, if you look at it a certain way, Super Bowl contending caliber team. So I definitely think Jimmy G is the right guy. Yeah, I think Jimmy G is going to help them out a bit, especially because you kind of mentioned it, like with the success that he's already had over the course of the year, past couple of years, I mean, that can't be ignored. And while neither of us would say that Jimmy G is a top quarterback, he fits what they do well. Now, the problem is he does not always play to the level that the 49ers need him to, particularly when the run game is not flowing. But I think that at least it's a bit of that familiarity and that, you know, the saying, the devil you know. And Jimmy G is a double that they do know. So I think that they're able to kind of switch their offense back to how it had been run for the past few years which will help to get some more consistency as opposed to the new offense they were trying to implement with Trey Lance being under center. So just to play devil's advocate, let's say Jimmy G helps lead them to another playoff run. Trey Lance is healthy. What do you do if you're the 49ers? Do you move on from Trey Lance? I mean, do you move on from Jimmy G? Or do you think it may be time to trade Trey Lance? Uh, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say I think it's time to trade Trey Lance. What I think they should do is they should just honestly and truly nix this whole like trade area movement of like trying to make him the starter. Let it give the reins back to Jimmy G. Let Trey Lane sit for maybe another year or two and then turn him and then give him the starting quarterback job. Because the thing that we've seen even before the ankle injury is Trey Lance isn't ready to be the starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. Like, he's had great splash plays where you see the athletic capabilities of him using his legs, and you see that great arm talent, but he isn't consistent. And at least with Jimmy G, you're going to get consistent play um, from game to game. Yes, he might make an occasional bad throw here and there, but he's a guy that kind of, he wins games, he doesn't really turn the ball over, and he fits that system. So I wouldn't say trade, trade, trade Lance, but I mean, you can make him a bad, I feel like he's in the, the place in his career where it's like, you can make him a bad cook. I think he still can have his confidence because it's like, hey, we're putting you in it. It's not, we're not putting you in this position because we don't think you can um, lead this team. Like you, you broke your ankle and the guy that's in front of you is the guy that actually can help us win games and we want to further develop you more. So that's what I would do. That's fair. I think the hard part is, if I'm not mistaken, this might be the last year of Jimmy G's deal. And so I think... I'm sorry? He signed a one-year deal with them. So it adds another year to it? No, I think after this season, he's done. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I thought. And so... I think that will be the biggest complication because if he does lead them into the playoff, he's not going to take a pay cut. He's going to want his money because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other teams around who are going to want to take the chance on him who might not have done it this offseason just because they had questions about the shoulder surgery he had. So I think that pretty much the nickels and dimes are really going to determine who the 49ers quarterback is going to be. But if they don't have success with Jimmy G, I think that that pretty much answers that question. But if they do, it's definitely going to open up an interesting can of worms that 
um, I think a lot of people are going to be following for the next several months to come. But all right, let's go ahead, take a look at week two and give our top five takeaways. Um, so I'll start things off. Uh, we're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm going to say Mitch Trubisky is not the answer at quarterback. I know that's not a shock, but particularly after the game and post uh, in the press conferences, both Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and even Mitch Trubisky himself were kind of calling out Matt Canada. Matt Canada's play calling and just discussing it. They didn't necessarily think that the right plays were called to get them downfield. That sounds great, but let's also not ignore the fact that Mitch Trubisky did not exactly have the greatest game of his career. I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot. When we see Mitch Trubisky, you know what you're going to get. He's going to be serviceable, but not spectacular. Was 21 of 33 for 168 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Not Nothing that's really going to blow you away, and I think that Pittsburgh fans are already clamoring to get Kenny Pickett in. I'm not saying do it because of pressure from the outside, but I do think that we're inching closer and closer to Kenny Pickett taking over as quarterback. Um, for me, my number five, we're going to the uh, the street fight um, field game that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. Um, at least in these past couple of games, between playing Dallas and playing the Saints. Tom Brady hasn't looked like himself. Um, I know a lot of people speculate, is it just the outside stuff that he's referred to in the offseason and things of that nature, but is it also just the reality that Father Time is undefeated? Excuse me. And it finally caught up to Tom Brady, a guy who many Dean is the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, he literally took a fight between his best receiver to kind of get their team charged up to make plays to win that game. Um, and I think a good I think a good thing for him is, is I think with the way that Todd Bowles has constructed this team, it's not going to rely on Tom Brady. Like, I don't think we're going to get the Tom Brady that threw for 5,000 yards in 43 touchdowns last season. I think we're going to get a guy, he's going to be more, um, he's going to look more human. Like, I can see it maybe being, like, uh, low 3,000s, close to 4,000 yards, and maybe, like, 27 to 30 touchdowns. But that team's going to be anchored by the defense and the run game. Yeah, I think that that's a really astute observation just because, I mean, Tom Brady has been a bit lackluster to start the year. Maybe it's going to take him a little bit to really start getting himself going, or maybe it's just a testament to the defenses he's facing, but it's definitely not the quote-unquote GOAT that we've gotten used to. Uh, number four for me, keeping things in Florida. Hate to admit it, but Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill are top three wide receiver duo in the league. I mean... Speed kills, and it definitely killed Baltimore's secondary, particularly in that fourth quarter where, I mean, both of those guys really came out like a rocket. Both of them finished with at least 170 yards. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, I mean, when you have two dynamic weapons like that on the outside, A, it's so hard for defenses to know who to hone in on. You can't afford to double-team somebody in fear of the other person breaking off a big play. And, B, I mean – it gives you so many weapons if you're Tua Tonga Bailoa to get the ball out and just see where it goes. Even if you throw the ball 10 yards away, they can make it for a 30, 40, 50-yard play. And we saw that happen quite a bit this past weekend. And, I mean, it's really working for them. So, I mean, the duo of Tua and Jalen Waddle is pretty lethal. 
Um, for me, we're going to go to another guy, another quarterback that people are saying as the go. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. He he had a better game than the game against the Vikings. He was 19 for 25, excuse me, for 234 yards and two touchdowns. But he's playing the Chicago Bears, and this is a team that he said himself that he owns. And by his standard, he had a very pedestrian game against the Chicago Bears. And I think it's just a note that he's still having issues with his receivers. Like, I watched the beginning portions of that game, and it was a play, I think it was on a second down, where Romeo Dobbs was going out to the flat, and Aaron Rodgers threw the ball and anticipated him getting open. Mm-hmm. And Romeo Dobbs didn't even turn his head to get the ball in time, so it was an incomplete pass. And it was a it was a couple of miscues. Like, he had a bad handoff for A.J. Dillon that um, turned into a fumble. And, like, people forget those things because they still ended up winning the game 27 to 10. But those are things that as the season progresses and, you, and like, if you still have those same miscues against better competition, it's going to turn into losses. So I think that's something just to look at. It's like the overall, it seems like the overall miscommunication with the Green Bay practice offense. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely, especially with so much young so much youth in that receiving core. It's going to take a while before they really get going. I think that's a big reason why Aaron Jones had the game that he did, just because still there's that mistrust between Rodgers and his receivers. All right, number three for me. Now I'm going to talk about a quarterback, and there's a reason why Kyler Murray was given his big contract. We can say what he want about him not really winning anything and kind of falling off for the face of earth in the latter halves of seasons, but I mean – if anybody need a reminder of just how special Kyler Murray can be, just watch the last quarter of that game against the Raiders. I mean, he was terrific. I'm sure everybody's seen the clip of him running around for 20 seconds to get the two-point conversion to tie the game. I mean, when it comes to Kyler Murray, we talk about his size and how he doesn't have prototypical size and how dedicated he is to the game, but nobody can ignore the fact that that kid can ball. And, I mean... There's a reason why the Cardinals were willing to give him $230.5 million in hopes of keeping him around because he really is the face of that franchise. All right. For me, my number three, I'm going back to a, talk, a talking point of yours. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Um, yeah, it hasn't been great. And I'm also a guy, I'm, this also pains me because I have Najee Harris on my fantasy team. And I just think, like, they have to find the identity. Yes, Mitchell Trubisky, he he had a serviceable game. He didn't have anything spectacular. But I think the thing is, is like, they have to um, figure out ways to get their playmakers the ball. And that's something that I think has kind of been lacked. And just seeing how... Like, I haven't seen a team only score 14 points in the game in a very long time. Like, we even say defensive, highly defensive games are like 20, 21 to 17. But to only be able to put up essentially two touchdowns, like, get some major concerns with the offense in Pittsburgh. Yeah, no, it's not looking pretty. Uh, Speaking about offensive concerns, I'm going with the Atlanta Falcons, who had a really close game, as I mentioned, with the Los Angeles Rams. 
31 to 27. However, you wouldn't know it by the production of Kyle Pitts. In that game, Pitts only had, I believe, three catches for 19 yards, which is a shot considering he is arguably their best offensive player. And then what, I'm sorry, he only had two catches for 19 yards and was only targeted three times. And what I'm sure is even more frustrating for Falcons fans is the fact that Arthur Smith doesn't seem to have a problem with it. In the post-game press conference, he was like, it's not the, it's not fantasy football. We're just trying to win. But in truth, I mean, why not get the ball in the hands of arguably your best offensive weapon? So my biggest takeaway is the Falcons are really wasting Kyle Pitts' potential. I think that a lot of people would agree that when we saw that Arthur Smith was bringing in um, – bringing in Marcus Mariota, who had a lot of success under Smith in their time together in Tennessee. We thought that this had an opportunity to be a really big year for Kyle Pitts, but instead he hasn't really done much, and it's unfortunate because he's such a talented guy, but you can only do so much when the ball is not in your hands. So if they're not able to get him going in games, I don't think their offense is going to be able to push out wins despite being competitive. Uh, my number two takeaway is another offensive I thought it's the Alamans offensive units. But another one I feel like is gone supremely under the radar is the Indianapolis Colts. They lost the Jaguars twenty four to zero. And I have the numbers in front of me. They brought Matt Ryan in to be a better option than Carson Wentz, but his numbers aren't proven otherwise. He was sixteen for thirty for hundred and ninety five yards and three interceptions. And not only that like, at least for these past two games, they haven't been able to get Jonathan Taylor loose. Like, this past game, he had nine carries, 54 yards. And this is a team that many people in the offseason kind of touted as, like, a sleeper um, a sleeper playoff team and a team that could win their division. And they are 0-1, and they tied with the Houston Texans. And they are supremely, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they're supremely talented, even though they gave them 24 points. But it looks like they have some confusion on the offense because they have talent there. Like Matt Ryan, he isn't a terrible quarterback. He's not the best. And you have Jonathan Taylor, a guy that a lot of people going into this season consider to be the best running back in the NFL. And he's had mediocre games these first two seasons. I mean, these first two um, first two games of the season. So I think there's something to, like, really, really look at. All right, and then my last one is also on the offensive side of the ball, but it's more specifically to a coach, and that's Nathaniel Hackett's conservative play calling is going to cost the Broncos. I mean, the Texans are a try-hard team. They are going to fight. I will give you that. But there is no way that the Broncos should have won this game by scoring just 16 points. Now, I on the one hand, I get it. Jerry Judy's out. That still sucks. But unfortunately, you have Cortland Sutton, who was a size mismatch for almost any cornerback he's going up against. You still have two really good running backs in the fold, a bevy of solid tight ends. You have other wide receivers who have shown some potential throughout the course of the offseason. Why are the the amount of conservative play callings it's just ridiculous especially because conservatism is the reason why they lost the game to Seattle in the first place going for that 64 yard kick and so I get it you want to take the points and field goal situations or maybe you trust that Javante Williams or Melvin Gordon can eck out five yards on a third and five or maybe six or seven yards but once again you gave Russell Wilson 265 million dollars use him 
He's expected to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league. He came here for the competition. How do you expect to fully compete against these high-powered offenses like the Raiders, like the Chiefs, like the Chargers, if you're not letting your quarterback loose? I feel like that's just a silly thing, mindset to have, especially considering that Nathaniel Hackett was the OC in Green Bay. Just imagine if in Green Bay they were doing this trash play call and Aaron Rodgers would have none of it. Maybe Russell is just kind of vibing with it because he just got there. He's not trying to rustle any, ruffle any feathers. But I do think that unless Nathaniel Hackett steps it up in terms of play calling, the Broncos are going to have a disappointing year. My top takeaway, you mentioned him earlier because of the injury. What is going to your, not even to your guy, but to your guy's offensive line, Joe Burrow. Oh, gosh. Like, I'm sorry, but they gave up. I'm I'm looking at the numbers. They gave up six sacks to the Cowboys. Granted, I understand Michael Parsons' generational talent. For him to get two sacks, for him to get two sacks, honestly, I can live with it. Right. But when you give up the other four, it's like okay, that's when you have a problem. And it's a situation to where everybody said that this offensive line was going to be better this season, and to some degree, it seems like they've gotten worse. Yeah. And you have like you have a future you have a franchise quarterback that not not only is up and coming, but he led y'all to a, a surprise Super Bowl last year. And because you can't because you can't protect them, like you're not able to maximize the potential of not only him but the potential of that team because they have great weapons on a receiver and running back. But your online can't do their jobs to protect their quarterback. So, yeah, that's 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 a bad look. Yeah, I I saw a stat stat earlier today where it was like between the first two games last year, Joe Burrow got sacked eleven times, and that's still a lot. But this year, within the first two games, he's gotten sacked thirteen times. Mind you, this is somebody who suffered a torn ACL in his rookie year. And we know he's their franchise quarterback. We know he's the future of the position. For the love of God, keep him upright. I don't care if you got to chop block defenders every play. Just there's no reason for him to be getting hit this much. And I'm not even just saying as a Joe Burrow fan, like any quarterback. It's just ridiculous to see time after time him getting murdered. Because I mean, you can't even have an offense if you're continuously getting sacked or getting hit. Like it's so hard to get into a rhythm. It's it's a bad look, but I do agree. They look worse than they did last year, which is crazy considering how much money and picks they've invested onto that side of the ball. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to a positive note, uh, talking our most impressive offensive and defensive players of the week. Offensively, I hate to say him because he did it against my team, but nobody can deny Tua Tungavailoa balled out uh, this past week, threw for 469 yards, six touchdowns, and showed mad poise in that fourth quarter where he out where they outscored Baltimore 28 to three. Pissed off that Baltimore lost, but I mean I got to give credit when it's due, and Tua earns a lot of credit and a lot of respect by his showing. So I was going to say uh, it's hard. I was going to say Nick Chubb, but. He lost, so I'm going to go with another running back. I'm going to say Aaron Jones. Um, and we won against the Vikings. I think he only had like six touches. And he pre- he, he didn't really produce. But game two against the Bears, he was running like a man possessed. And he was a predominant factor in the reason why they dominated the Bears the way that they did. 
Yeah, I agree with you. All right, and then moving on to my defense, most impressive defensive player. Kind of like you, I had a different player in mind, but then the Ravens lost, so I can't give it to Marcus Williams. But I will give it to Ricky Aiden Hutchinson. Had three sacks in just his second NFL game. I mean, that's pretty impressive. If you guys remember last week, I mentioned Hutchinson as a player to watch because I saw the success that Trayvon Walker had against the commander's offensive line, and I was interested to see what Aiden Hutchinson would be able to do. Safe to say, he dominated. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with one of your LSU boys. I'm going with Devin White. He had, a, he had 11 total tackles, 7 solo tackles, 1 sack, a tackle for loss, and a pass breakup. And, like, we we saw bad James against Tampa Bay. And that was something that I thought was a thing of the past. But, like, that defense did their job, and Devin White led their defense. Yeah, I mean, I want to say Jameis had threw three picks in the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's not pretty. I mean, those picks are really what helped Tampa get back into the game. But, I mean, it's always good to see LSU boys get some love. Um, And then moving on to my most disappointed player. I mean, you mentioned him earlier. It's Matt Ryan. You and I talked about last week whether or not we felt like he was an upgrade over Carson Wentz. And I know it's only two games, but if you ask me again, it kind of feels like a downgrade because at least Carson Wentz wasn't playing this bad early in the season. So I get it. They coach were out their top wide receiver, whatever. You had all offseason to try to improve your offense. You drafted Alec Pierce in the second round. Everybody's been hyping him up about what type of guy he's going to be. It's just it has not been easy or pretty watching the Colts' offense work, and Matt Ryan is to blame for a lot of that. Um, for me, my my most disappointing, I'm bringing them up again, it's the Bengals' offensive line. Not only did you not protect um, Joe Burrow, but it led to them losing to the Cowboys, and that is just a, that's a horrible day when they win, especially when they win without – with their back quarterback. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's not like the run game was that big of a factor. Like, Tony Pollard had a great 49-yard run, but it wasn't. Yeah, not pretty. All right, but finally, let's talk rookie of the week. I already mentioned Aiden Hutchinson, so I'm not going to double dip. Instead, I'm going to go with Jets wide receiver Garrett Wilson. Had eight catches for 102 yards, including... Uh, a touchdown which resulted in being the game winner went to Ohio State had his best showing of the season so far in the state of Ohio I'm excited to see what Garrett Wilson can be because I think that we're finally starting to see the Jets playmakers really in effect um, for me since we already mentioned Garrett Wilson I'm going with another Ohio State wide receiver I'm going with Chris Olave he had five receptions for 80 yards Granny, he came in a loss, but, you know, as a rookie, he still was able to produce. He was the leading receiver for the Saints that game. Yeah, yeah I, I figured he was the leader. All right, so let's go ahead on and talk some league news, starting with you talking about that game, um, Saints versus Bucks, following the altercation between Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore, as we all know. Uh, Mike Evans has been suspended for one game, meaning that unless his appeal is approved, he's going to miss this Sunday's matchup against the Packers. Ethan, you asked me what I thought about the suspension um, off-air, but what are your feelings? Do you think it's fair, too little, too much? What do you think about it? I think it's fair 
Um, just from the standpoint of like there it was gonna have to be disciplinary action, um in the league, even though when it comes down to issues of greater severity, things like this they tend to be kinda decent about. Uh, so I think it's fair. If it were to me, bro, I wouldn't get that man a suspension. It's football. So, but I also understand that you have to enforce rules. So I think the one game suspension is fine. And honestly, I don't even think it's really going to affect uh, Tampa Bay that much going against the Packers because Tampa Bay's defense is amazing, and they're going against a Green Bay offense that's been struggling. Um, so far, so they can still win that game. It won't even matter. Yeah, I got you on that. All right, so uh, moving on to a bit more controversy. Brett Favre, a guy who has mostly kind of stayed out of the spotlight since retiring from the NFL, made news this past week, but not for the right reasons. It came out that former Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant helped Brett Favre obtain welfare funds in order to help build a new volleyball center at the University of Southern Mississippi, a.k.a. the same school that his daughter played for. Um and more news on that state auditors determined nonprofit leaders misspent at least 77 million dollars in welfare funds in the largest case of public fraud in mississippi history um text came out that showed Favre, uh new and bryant discussing how to divert at least five million in welfare funds to build a volleyball stadium at southern miss Favre played football at southern miss as well as his daughter playing there so even though it seems unlikely that criminal charges are going to be placed on Favre and the governor what do you think this news does to Brett Favre's legacy do you think that on the broader scale it's going to make people look at him differently or do you think that because of what he's accomplished on the football field it's just going to get swept under the rug essentially I think it's going to be a mixed bag just like with a lot of people um, a lot of athletes that have Big, um, big criminal charges or things like that attached to their name. Like it's going to be some people that that's going to be the driver motive, like what they remember them for. And then it's going to be others that are going to see it and be like, he was a great player. I think in the case of Brett Favre, it's probably going to be a couple more in the sense of him as a great player because it's like, in all honesty, his legacy has been over with for quite some time. Like, he isn't an active player. I think it would be different if he was still playing. Um, but, like, with him being a retired, retire, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, they're going to say, hey, it's, it's horrible that he did it. We hate we hate that he did it. He might, people still might treat him as a bad person. But in the sense of, like, his legacy, I don't think it's going to affect it that much because it's so far removed from him being an active player. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, especially with regards to it being a mixed bag, just because, I mean, even today, in, in every sport, fans have a tendency to kind of view athletes as, like, godlike figures as opposed to actual human beings. And when I say that, that means if you are great at the sport that you play, all the personal stuff does not necessarily seem to matter. And then, as you mentioned, with Brett Favre retiring, he's already in the Hall of Fame. People may, like you said, look at it like, this was a bad thing you did but they're not really going to care however if you look at it from like a microcosm of if you're in let's say you're somebody in mississippi who needs welfare but you can't get it because they're trying to put in a new volleyball court like it's little things like that where i feel like it just depends on your situation how you look at 
in your perspective as to how bad you look at Brett Favre as opposed to other people, probably in Green Bay, who could care less, who think, oh, that's bad, but go on about their business. But for those people who are more so focused on the welfare system or live in Mississippi and were affected by this, I think they would have a much different perspective. But all right, let's go ahead and play this week's game of Believable or Buffoonery. And we're going to start off with Tom Brady. Um, following, uh, following the game against the Saints, he had some pretty interesting comments to where he said, there were a few hits, and you look at your arm, and you've got bruises, and you got cuts, and the way it goes is, you think, how much longer do I want to make this commitment? We all know that Tom Brady initially retired earlier in the year, came back 40 days later. And as you mentioned, Ethan, I mean, he has not exactly looked like himself within the first couple of games of the year. So do you think that after this season, it will officially be the end of Tom Brady? Believable or buffoonery? I think it's believable. Um, It's a saying that um, I've heard that goes, when you start to talk about retirement, you're already retired. And, like, Tom Brady, he technically retired and he came back. And since he's come back, he's made, like, cryptic remarks where where he's talked about retirement. And I think just – and also a thing that plays into it is the Bucs' offensive line isn't nearly as good as it was in years like these past and previous years of him being there. So he, I think he is taking a couple more hits than he's used to. I mean, even in the game against the Cowboys, Michael Parsons got to him twice. Um, and I think at age 45, regardless of if you do the TB12 method, you're like in a tip-top shape and a front end like, oh, not, I can't even say a physical specimen because he's not, but like he's in great shape. But those hits start to linger and ache more. And I think that he's like, hey, I just, I probably can't do this anymore. I can't deal with these hits the way that I used to. So I definitely think that um, this year is probably the last year for Tom Brady. Yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying believable as well. All right, moving on. We all know that Cowboys fans have a bit, have a few tendencies of being a bit delusional. But maybe, just maybe, this one Cowboys fan may have a point. Kind of. Um, in a recent uh, Facebook post that came out before Sunday's game, the fan says this. They say history repeats itself. 20 years ago, a franchise quarterback named Drew Bledsoe went down with the injury. His backup came in and changed history. That backup led them to a Super Bowl title that year and many more in the future. That backup was Tom Brady. Now history repeat itself again. Dak goes down with injury and we got an elite backup stepping into the line of fire. He was shocked the world. Cooper Rush is going to win the MVP and the Super Bowl. This is our year. So we're going to ignore the whole Super Bowl and MVP stuff. But to be fair, in Cooper Rush's start on Sunday, they did beat the Bengals, which was an upset. So Believable or buffoonery, Cooper Cush, Cup, I mean Cooper Rush will save the Cowboys season. Crap, no, no person to get donkey stumped. Yeah, no, I'm saying, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yeah, they, they just ran into a team with a bad offensive line that couldn't block their passers. If they played against a team with a competent offensive line that could put up a couple more points, no, yeah, no. Yeah, 
I mean, I like I like the spark. I like the gumption. It'd be a hell of a story. But no, buffoonery. Um, keeping things in with quarterbacks, uh, Sean Payton, uh, formerly head coach of the San, uh, New Orleans Saints, is currently working for Fox, where he told an interesting story of how Patrick Mahomes, current quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, nearly became a New Orleans Saint. Uh, he recently revealed that the Saints were heavily interested in Mahomes during the draft process. They even told Drew Brees that there was a strong possibility that they would take him in the draft. However, the Chiefs traded one spot of ahead of the Saints and snag Mahomes before the Saints could. I mean, still a pretty good draft overall. That's the year they ended up with Marshawn Lattimore and Alvin Kamara. But let's say they did end up getting Patrick Mahomes. Believable or buffoonery, Patrick Mahomes would have been just as successful as a member of the Chiefs, I mean, of the Saints, as he has been with the Chiefs. I would say he would be more successful. Um, because... He would be coming to a team, in my opinion, this way, this way more way around it. Like the Saints, there. When you have good James, they have good weapons around. You can be a good offense, but they also have a really good defense, and that's something that Patrick Mahomes has never really played with. So, like, you can look and Sean, who's to say? Like, if they draft Patrick Mahomes, I don't think Sean Payton retires. I think he'll still be coaching because it's like, hey, we have the successors to Drew Brees, and I want to coach this guy up. So I think he'll actually be better if he, he would have been better than if he went to Kansas City. Uh, I think, I don't know if I would say better, just because I feel like he had more offensive weapons in Kansas City, but he definitely would have had a better defense in New Orleans. And at that time, what was that, 2017, 2018? I mean, the AFC was kind of right for the pickings. I mean, the biggest threat to them was the Patriots, whereas with the NFC, I feel like it was more, it was a lot more balanced. So I don't know if I would say better, but I think I think it would be on par. But all right, last question before we make our game picks for week three. Uh, Joe Flacco talked about his experience at the Super Bowl and had some interesting comments. He said that the Super Bowl felt like a dinner party and the players were just the entertainment. Which, I mean, you think about how expensive that Super Bowl tickets are. It's hard for average Joe to travel to whatever city to be able to watch their favorite team compete in the biggest game of the year. So, believable or buffoonery, the NFL has to find a way to make the, the Super Bowl more more accessible for fans. Yes. I think that's because, I mean, I like, granted, I understand the game of football is a game that's loved by a lot of individuals. Then you have individuals that have money. But I think when you think about it from the perspective of, like, when you look at small, like I'm thinking about Green Bay, um, like a lot of those guys that are Packers fans are common Joe Blows. And if their team were to make it to the Super Bowl, like they would essentially have had to save well, maybe several weeks worth of salary just to get into the game. Um, so yeah, I definitely think they need to try to make it more accessible to like the more um more common man because those are the guys that like are diehard football fans. I think in my opinion. 
Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I mean, just because, I mean, it's such a rare opportunity to see your team make it to the Super Bowl. And it's one thing to watch it on TV, which is still a great experience. But, I mean, it's a whole other thing to actually be in the building because I'm sure Joe Flacco, I mean, not Joe Flacco, Joe Burrow felt like a lot of people from Cincinnati weren't able to come to the L.A. to come to the Super Bowl. Flights are already mad expensive. Then you factor in having to get a hotel, trying to get tickets. Everything is even more expensive than it would be normally. And so it's hard to really kind of feel like you have that fan environment because it's mostly just rich people who honestly couldn't care less about either team. They just want to say that they went to a game. And so because of that, or hell, some of them just come for the halftime show. So because of that, I do agree. I think that the NFL should do something. Unfortunately, I just don't think that they will just because it's too much money to be made in overcharging for tickets but all right let's go ahead and make our game picks for week three starting off thursday night football pittsburgh steelers headed to cleveland i got steelers Steelers. minnesota vikings versus the detroit lions i think this game is going to end up coming down to the wire but i'm gonna go vikings i'm going vikings uh, Baltimore Ravens versus the New England Patriots. I got Ravens. Ravens. New Orleans Saints versus the Carolina Panthers. I got Saints. Saints. This this is kind of a tough one, but Houston Texans versus the Chicago Bears. I I think I'm gonna go Texans. I'm not confident in it, but I'll say Texans. I'm gonna go Chicago. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Indianapolis Colts. I got Chiefs. Chiefs. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles versus the Washington Commanders. I got uh, I got Eagles. Eagles. Buffalo Bills versus the Miami Dolphins. That's going to be a fun game, but I still got Bills. I got Dolphins. Okay. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals versus the New York Jets. I don't see the Bengals going 0-3. I got Bengals. I got Bengals. Las Vegas Raiders versus the Tennessee Titans. This is kind of a toss-up, but I think I'm going to give the slight edge to the Raiders. Tighten up. Los Angeles Chargers versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I got Chargers. Chargers. Atlanta Falcons versus the Seattle Seahawks. This is another one that's kind of tough. I think I'm going to go Falcons, but I... It could go either way, honestly. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Seahawks. Fair. Uh, Los Angeles Rams versus the Arizona Cardinals. Another game that's going to end up coming down to the wire. But I got got Rams. I'm not totally confident, but I'll I'll say Rams. Yeah, me too. Bay Buccaneers versus the Green Bay Packers. I got Bucks. I got Bucks. Now, this is another hard one. We got the Denver Broncos versus the San Francisco 49ers. I have to believe that this offense is going to start getting it together, especially with Jerry Judy coming back in the fold. It's going to be a close one, but I'm going to give the nod to the Broncos. I got the Niners. Fair enough. All right, last, but actually it's still least. Dallas Cowboys versus the New York Giants Monday Night Football. I got Cowboys. All right, so let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookies that we are watching this week. Offensively, who you watching? Offensively, uh, 
watching Mitchell Trubisky. They're playing the Browns. You're going up against Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett. Um, the Browns have some decent, some some nice pieces on defense. They don't have a good defense overall, but those are pieces that can affect the um, Pittsburgh quarterback. Um, I'm sticking with another quarterback. I'm going Joe Burrow. I mean, we've talked about it at length. They He has been getting demolished this season so far. And, but I know more than anything, he doesn't want to go 0-3. So even if he does mess around and get sacked several times, I do believe that this is a good opportunity for him to have a good showing and remind everyone why he is that guy. All right, defensively, who are you watching? Defensively, I'm watching the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive line. We've got James Vita Vega, um, you know, Shaq Berry, all of those guys. Because I think the Green Bay Packers, after this game against the Bears, I think they finally settled into the fact of like until Aaron Rodgers is able to build chemistry with his receivers, they're gonna have to run the ball. And the Bucks have been one of the better defensive units as far as stopping the run. But I think this game was going to be interesting just because of, like, you're not slowing down one guy. You're technically slowing down two. And I think the defensive line is going to play a big part in who uh, wins the game uh, this Sunday. That's true. Uh, for me, I'm going with the Bills' safeties, uh, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. A big reason why Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill were able to dominate Baltimore is because admittedly it was a lot of miscues in the secondary, particularly at that safety position. And, I mean, the Bills are going to be faced with another tough task. I would take Baltimore's corners, but I do think that the Bills' safeties is arguably the best tandem in the league. So they're going to definitely have to provide a lot of double teams and definitely play, not give them a lot of space in order to avoid those big plays. So I think if uh, Poyer and Hyde can have big games, I think that they could keep the Dolphins' offense at bay. All right, what rookie are you watching? Rookie, obviously, Aiden Hutchinson. He made the he made the splash. I want to see if he continues. Um, and the second is obviously Jordan Davis. Yeah, you know, you boy got to show us some love. I'm gonna go with another Georgia guy. I'm going George Pickens wide out for the Steelers. I mean, we've already talked at length about the Steelers' offense offensive efficiency inequities but I mean we saw what another rookie wide receiver was just able to do to the Browns and help his team get a win I think that if George Pickens can have I won't even say two touchdowns but if he can have a similar input and make a lot of big splash plays that can help the Steelers become two and one on the year and what team are you calling out this week team I'm calling out uh, I'm calling out the Steelers uh see them playing getting back to playing their brand of football I know it's been it's been uh, interesting since Big Ben has been gone, and even with them there, like them kind of morphing into like a passing offense versus a run heavy offense. And I think with whether it's Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett, I think they have to go back to their old smash mouth ways of being a dominant run team and a dominant defensive unit. And, like, that's the formula that's going to help them win games. And I think that they should turn back into that type of team, especially against the Browns, because, you know, it's a divisional matchup. Yeah, big rivalry. Um, I'm going to keep it in the AFC North. I'm going to say my Baltimore Ravens. What happened last week cannot happen again, especially facing an offense like the Patriots. That is not good. 
by anyone's imagination and I'm not going to sit here and act like they're good if we blow another lead like we did this past week heads are going to roll and rightfully so so Baltimore handle your business move on let's we got tougher competition coming we got but bills next week let's make it past the Patriots and be two and one that's all I ask I don't think I'm asking for too much give me two and one all right now let's move on to the NBA but first congratulations to the Las Vegas Aces for becoming the 2022 WNBA champions after defeating the Connecticut Sun in four games mostly shout out to of course Chelsea Gray for being named finals MVP dropping 20 points 20 points six assists five rebounds and made five shots in the closeout game as well as of course uh asia wilson uh kelsey plum and coach becky hammond winning a championship in her first year with the wnba so congratulations to the aces of course i wish my sparks would have made the playoffs hope we would have won it but i'm not mad to see the aces get their first uh championship in franchise history i don't know if you got anything you want to add but um, yeah, just congratulations to them. Also, if I'm not mistaken, congratulations to Aza Wilson for being the WNBA um, MVP of the season. She won, I think she, she won MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, so she doubled up. I had to remember. I knew I saw it, but I, I wasn't sure. Um, yeah, and just her. Honestly, this is her second MVP since she... She's been in the WNBA coming from South Carolina, so she's been dominant. And yeah, the Aces, they just had a really good team this year. Like, I that I didn't get a chance to watch nearly as much WNBA basketball as I have in the past, but I kept up with the Aces throughout the season. And like, they they kind of were steamrolling that a lot of people. And uh, like you said, set out for Coach Becky Hammond for getting the title in her first season. Yep, I'm sure it's going to be the first of many. I mean, it was just, everything just worked out, so congratulations to them, and excited to see what the future holds. Now, if everybody just want to jump ship to L.A. and team up with NECA or Wilma K, wouldn't be upset about that one either. But keeping things in L.A., Dennis Schroeder, after spending a few seasons with the Los Angeles Lakers, is returning to the Lakers on a one-year $2.6 million deal. Of course, now with another point guard in the fold, people are wondering how that affects Russell Westbrook. Are they going to bring him off the bench? I don't think they're going to, or at least not to start the season. But, Ethan, what do you think? Do you think that it'd be a good idea to bench Westbrook? And if so, who would you have start at the one? Uh, the idea of benching Westbrook, it sounds good in theory. But it doesn't sound good in practice. Like I don't, I don't see Russ as being a guy that will willingly come off the bench. And granted, you know things could change. Um, and it just depends. Like, what are you? If you were to bench him, what are you looking for? Are you looking for another guy that could help carry the scoring load for AD and LeBron? If that's the case, then you obviously would start Dennis Schroeder. Or are you looking for a guy that can um that can fit a role? And if you're looking for a guy that can fit a role, it's obviously Pat Bev. I think the Lakers' best bet is to try to find someone 
best of suitor to trade Westbrook to them simply because like you have three point guards in a lot of people's minds you have three starting level point guards and you have to figure out which one you want to you want to um, roll out on opening day so yeah it's, it's it's getting interesting in LA well it's been interesting but it's getting even more interesting all I'm saying is just free Russ. It's not working. And I know that's easier said than done just because, I mean, it has not been the market that you thought it would be for Russ. But, I mean, just at this point, it's just so much easier just to cut ties, move on, and both teams just get a fresh start. But um, continuing on with the conversation of fresh starts, the Phoenix Suns may be due for one following the one-year suspension of team owner Robert Sarver. He, uh, he was suspended for one year as well as given a $10 million fine after a organization or I'm sorry, after an investigation was conducted by the league. Key findings from the NBA were that Sarver said the N-word at least five times when recounting statements of others made sex-related inappropriate comments about the physical appearance of females, inappropriate physical conduct toward men, and engaged in harsh treatment. While Adam Silver following the suspension did say that he has no power necessarily to remove him as a team owner that answer was not good enough for players and own fellow owners alike for example phoenix sun's minority owner i'm sorry i'm about to butcher this man's name john najafi who owns the second largest stake in the team behind sarver wants sarver to turn in his resignation um in part he writes i am calling for his resignation. LeBron James also took to Twitter to express his feelings about it, said, read through the Sarver stories a few times now, and I gotta be honest, our league definitely got this wrong. I don't need to explain why. Y'all read the stories and decide for yourself. I said it before and I'm gonna say it again. There is no place in this league for that kind of behavior. I love this league and I deeply respect our leadership, but this isn't right. There is no place for misogyny, sexism, and racism in any workplace. Don't matter if you own the team or play for the team. We hold our league up as an example of our values and this ain't it. Continuing on with those questions of values, the NBA PA, the MBPA now also wants Robert Sarber removed from his ownership stake. Um, this was added by the NBA PA executive director, Tamika Trigliallo. We are absolutely calling for that and said she wants him banned for life. I am speaking on behalf of all of our players. We've kind of seen a situation similar to this with Donald Sterling with the Clippers, and I believe that was, what, 2013? But I think that because of what he did, it was a lot more publicized. Thus, it was a bit easier to get him to turn in his resignation and to sell the team. But, Ethan, with everything that's going on and all the attention that's on Sarver now, do you think that eventually he will be pressured into resigning from his spot? Um, I think he will. Um, like we stated, me and you talked about it off-air, where um, PayPal has said that they will be willing to remove their sponsorship of the Phoenix Suns. And I think the thing is, is once it starts to, um, unfortunately, Adam Silver is correct, whereas like there's nothing that he can do because a lot of people don't understand. As the commissioner of the NBA, he works. For, he essentially works for all the owners of the NBA teams. Like he's yes, he's the primary um like voice that you hear when it comes down to making rules and things of that nature. But he isn't a guy that has the power to remove people from ownership. The only people that have that power are the other owners. And I think that um, 
And once we start to see things where it affects people's pockets, that's when I think it'll really gain some traction. And honestly, I can see it happening sooner rather than later because like also me who stated, talked about off air, this is another team that Chris Paul is on where it's been these type of actions that's taking place. And we know that Chris Paul is one of the um, front runners along with LeBron for activism in the NBA. And like, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe during the season, you can see um, another situation to where you see Suns players in warm, in warm up stressed in all black or things of that nature. And then just getting that message out. So, the short answer is yes, I can see it happening. Yeah, I agree too. I just think that it's one of those sad things where what you do, everything you do is going to end up coming to the light. And I think that the more that the NBA investigates, because unfortunately, even if he does come back after a year, I don't think anybody would be a naive enough enough to think that, oh, he's just going to come back and there's never going to be these problems again. Unfortunately, he is an entitled rich white man. He is not going to just change his behavior just because he was fined and suspended. Because, I mean, if you can own a professional team, millions of dollars, like $10 million to regular people like us, that sounds like a crazy amount of money. But if you are an owner, I don't know if he's a billionaire yet, but I know he has several hundreds of million dollars. This is nothing. And so because of that, even when he, if he does come back, this behavior is just going to happen. If anything, he might not happen as frequently, but it's still going to be an issue because he deems that it's okay to do because in his mind, he hasn't done anything wrong, even though what he has done is consistently wrong. So I think that there has to be action taken, whether that be like you mentioned, like when the season starts, maybe protests by the players and coaches. Cause I mean, let's be honest, the Phoenix Suns are a team that are predominantly black as well as having a black head coach. And it just really blows me how it's typically the owners who have more, more people of color on their teams who do this stuff. Cause I mean, it was a similar situation with Donald Sterling with Doc Rivers as his co head coach as well. So I think if the pivotal figures of this organization agree to do protests or are speaking out more on it, I think that it can lead to more changes than just like LeBron James being upset or people who aren't directly involved. But moving on to a much lighter note, um, Netflix released a trailer for its upcoming documentary about the Redeem team, aka the 2008 uh, USA basketball team that recovered from the 2004, I believe, bronze medal winning performance. Made up of Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, and many other stars, this documentary has a chance to be pretty popular. So, Ethan, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see the trailer yet, but in your opinion, what is the one storyline that you are most excited to see? Um, I haven't had the chance to see the trailer, and this is the Redeem team, right? Yeah, the Redeem team. Oh, that's easy. Anything related to Kobe. Yeah. So, like, Kobe with LeBron, Kobe with D-Wade. Um, like, this is this, I think this is the same year where... Uh, Kobe was talking trash to Luis Scully in Spanish. Like yes, yes, anything was. related to Kobe, that's what I'm going to be focusing in on. Yeah, I mean, the Kobe fan that I am, my answer was going to be Kobe related to. If anything, um, Coach K made mention that the reason why they recruited Kobe was because they needed him. They felt like 
things were not going right. The chemistry wasn't there, and thus they recruited Kobe. Because to my knowledge, I don't think he played on a USA team till 2008. So I want to know, even though I think I probably guessed, but like why Kobe was the one to come in to make them better. How was he the gel to put things together? Because, I mean, people on the outside are, you know, Lakers detractors or whatever. Be quick say, oh, Kobe was a ball hog. Kobe wasn't a good leader, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not what all these star players at the NBA are saying. And also, kind of like, as a different storyline, just like, I kind of feel like this might have been the start of like, like, of course, NBA players were all like, there's always friends within the league. But I think around this time, this is and then with the social media becoming more of a thing where players are really spending more time with each other and hanging out together, even if they're not on the same teams. I'm sure that probably getting this opportunity to play on the Redeem team together is what also helped lead to LeBron to want to take his talents to Miami. And so I just I'm interested to see how that helped to set up future friendships and eventual team ups around the league. So I think it'll be an interesting watch. I can't say I'm gonna watch it as soon as it comes out, but I'm sure it's gonna be um, a good a good time. But all right, one more thing before we move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. Every year, uh, NBA executives are called upon to give their opinion as to the top players under 25 that they will want to build a team around. And so here is this we this year's list. Well, at least I'll just say the top 10. Uh, number one, Luka Doncic. Two, Jason Tatum. Three, John Morant. Four, Evan Mobley. Five, Anthony Edwards. Six, Zion Williamson. Seven, Scotty Barnes. Eight, LaMelo Ball. Ten, well, technically tied for ninth, but tenth, we'll say Trey Young. How do you feel about this list, Ethan? Anybody you feel should be higher, lower? What are your thoughts? Mm, I think Anthony Edwards should be higher. That's um, well, I would put him over Mobley. Oh uh, yeah, I would put him over Mobley. What I'm about to say is also a really hot take. I don't think Jason Tatum should be number two. Really? Where would you put him? Like four or five. I get like Jason Tatum is a great talent. Um, but. And I think a huge byproduct of his success from a team standpoint has to be like, bro, he came in with Jalen Brown and like they affected winning together. Like I think about, you know, I sound like a homer when I say this, but, and if you think I am, I might be, but I just think about Ja. Like Ja came in he doesn't necessarily have another superstar level talent as a teammate. Like Jaren, he has star potential. But, but he, he can't stay healthy. Yeah. Huh? And he can't stay healthy. Yeah, and he can't stay healthy. But from the moment that Jock took his foot in Memphis, he's made Memphis a he's he's increased their win percentage and win production. From the moment he stepped foot, like he had them as the second best team in the Western Conference last year, um, in what his second year, right? And like to me, that speaks volumes. And I understand that Ja has his deficiencies as a player, from the standpoint of like being a shooter and even making free throws. But like I can't, to me, I think the fact that he has 
he's increased the Grizzlies' win percentage to such a dramatic pace. Oh, I take I take that into account more than Jason Tatum because, like Jason Tatum, like the, in my personal opinion, if you were to take the ball, if you were to take Jason Tatum off of the Boston Celtics, they would still be a playoff team. They might not be as a higher seed of a playoff team, but they would still be a playoff team. If you were to take John Morant off the Memphis Grizzlies, they won't even make the playoffs, or they would be, or they will scratch and claw their way into. It. No, I totally agree with you on that last sentiment. So, all right, so I, I just sent you the list. So, how would you rank the top five? For me, I think I'd probably go – I'd go Ant, Trey, Tatum, Morant, Luca. I'd go Luca, Ja. Uh, actually, I'd put Jason Tatum three. Anthony Edwards four, and the last one's hard. Yeah. Also, I apologize. I was going in descending order, so when I said Trey, he would have been my five. Luca would have been my one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's hard because it's like Trey Young has affected winning. I'm also not a Trey Young fan. Yeah. Uh. I'm honest. I honestly, I will keep. No, I moved Anthony Edwards to four. And will be four. Okay. So Luca, Ja, Tatum, and my five. Being honest, based off this last season, I'm gonna go Darius Garland. Dang. Okay, that's respectable. I mean, all right, so. In your opinion, because honestly, we didn't even really mention Zion, but do you think that how sh- are you shocked that Zion, even with all the potential, did not make the top five? Like six is pretty respectable considering how little he's played, but do you think that the potential would have gotten him higher? I think if he would have played last season, he would have been five. Yeah, uh, probably four. Yeah. Honestly, probably. And the thing is, is I'm a I'm a big Zion fan. Like a lot of people don't know. Like I I'm a big Zion fan. I love his game. I just love like the fact that he's a bully. Like I like that about him. But I think the hard thing for me is when I think about building a team around people. Like I'm taking into account like the way that they look from a winning standpoint. Like granted, the Pelicans made the playoffs this past season. But, like, they made the playoffs and Zion didn't play a game. So you can't attribute any of that to Zion. When Zion was there, they were an exciting team because he was on the court, but they weren't a winning winning team. Like, the guys in my event, from my vantage point, it's like the guys that I necessarily put in my top five, a lot of the reason why they're in my top five, it's just because of their talent, but because of the ways that they affect winning, and Zion just hasn't affected winning that drastically yet. Yeah, oh, I agree, and I but I think that this season has a real chance for him too. It's just always that biggest question of can he stay healthy? If he can stay healthy, I'm not saying I think the Pelicans are gonna mess around and like make a deep playoff run, but I think they're gonna be a really exciting team to watch, especially after the addition of CJ McCollum. So. 
I hope that he can stay healthy. I wouldn't call myself a Zion fan, but it's really it sucks seeing somebody with so much potential not really be able to show it. So hopefully this upcoming season will be the turning point for that. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. And this is some breaking news. The NBA and the NBA PA are expected to agree on moving the age of eligibility from 19 years old to 18 years old. They're also planning to approve a measure that allows players citing mental health similar to physical injury, essentially if mental health could be a way they don't play a game things like that but let's talk about the big part about the um age of eligibility moving down i mean we've seen so many players go one and done and before making the jump to the nba and now they're not going to have to do that so how do you think that's going to affect young players and college basketball as a whole the way it's going to affect i'm going to go with college basketball it's going to um I think it's going to affect it from the standpoint of like you might see like bigger NIL deals and bigger ways for colleges to try to attract these young star athletes to go to college instead of going straight to the NBA. As far as the young players, I don't think it's, it's going to be an attractive option, but I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference because when you think about it from this context, how many players in the history of the NBA have been talented enough to go straight from college, I mean, from high school to the NBA? Not many. And, yeah, it's not that many. And, like, I even think about guys that many people have touted in the lane. Like, I think about one of them being a recency guy. It's like, I'm thinking about Imani Bates. Um, he was the top, he was the top pick in his graduating like the top recruiting his graduating class and some people very few voices thought like he might have been able to go straight to the league and when we saw him in Memphis he couldn't even compete on the college court let alone the NBA court um and granted I know the NBA game is probably more suited to some to a guy like his talents but I don't see really affecting these um student athletes because I don't see, like, that many NBA... Um, ready, guys. Yeah, I don't see that many NBA-ready guys, and I don't see that many NBA teams being like, hey, we're just going to draft a kid that just came out of high school. Like, you might get that, that rare talent that comes out, but, like, I don't see it being a common enough thing to where things where it, um, it affects the guys. Yeah, I don't think so either. Mainly just because, I mean, I just I just look at it like this. Like, as you mentioned, like, there's still just, like, a handful of guys who came straight into the NBA from high school. But not many players necessarily had the talent to do it. Like, we hear about the success stories all the time about, you know, the Kobe's, the LeBron's, Kevin Garnett was another one. Dwight Howard, you could throw him in as well. But you have to be an upper echelon of talent to be able to do that and I think that I think you made a really great point about NIL deals because now especially the big college programs who are just used to being great like Kansas like Kentucky teams like that they want to keep themselves great so they're going to keep trying to offer big NIL deals in hopes of making more money in hopes of trying to keep themselves having that success but I think something else that may also come into it is just some people may not they don't want to wait 
some people that if you some athletes you hype their heads up big enough into thinking that they're ready for the NBA they'll go and they may mess around and not end up getting drafted and they will look back thinking that they should have went to the G League or they should have went to college but it's incredibly enticing if you're an 18 year old kid who's like and everybody's telling you you can play at the NBA if you don't have to wait why wait so I think I hope if anything like I understand why the NBA is doing it because it kind of the whole one and done thing is kind of pointless and it makes it hard to really root for certain guys just because you know they're only going to be there for five minutes so in that regard I'm I think it's the right decision I just hope that the kids and the young guys who this will affect I hope that it allows them I hope they really think through their decision before jumping to the league when they're not ready but all right, let's go ahead and keep things going. Talking about being ready for the league, we gotta talk about your main man, John Moran, who, as you mentioned this past year, led his Grizzlies to the second best record in the Western Conference and had a lot of confidence. So much so that in a recent interview with the Pivot Podcast, said it was our year in referring to last year. But that injury caused me to be out. We were the favorites. Um, here's the full quote. Late in the playoffs, that injury took me out of the series, and I felt like me personally and my teammates, we were the favorites in that series. It was pretty much our year, but that injury caused me to be out. So, Ethan, believable or buffoonery, had John Morant been healthy for the series against the Warriors, they would have won. Yes. And I'm not saying this. I'm trying to not say this is a uh, every Grizzlies fan, but I think that they would have won because if you look at um, which game, I think it was game one, where the Grizzlies, only reason they lost that game was because Job missed what was essentially a wide open layup because he rushed it. And I think that Job was a created a, a great matchup nightmare for the Warriors because especially I hate to go throughout the whole events of the play of their series. But once they lost I feel like me personally, once they lost Gary Payton Jr. to injury, if we had a healthy John Morant, we would have won this series because Gary Payton was the only person on their team capable of guarding job. Um so yes, I'm gonna say yes. It's tough. I did. I think for sure would have went to seven games, but I think I, I think I'm gonna go buffoonery, mainly because I think that as a whole we all, we can underestimate the importance of experience. Yes, the Grizzlies played a terrific season. Yes, they were giving the Warriors a run for their money, but. The Warriors have been in this situation many times before. They know what it takes to win in the biggest moments. And because of that, I, especially with kind of the little animosity that was kind of going back and forth too, I feel like that would have helped give them like a little extra edge to pull it out in game seven. And I think that it would have kind of, and then I think they still would have won a championship and everything. But I think that the Warriors still would have pulled out how job played, but I think that it would have been a significantly better series. But I think that it also, because they did lose and in the way that the Grizzlies did lose, I think that they're going to be excited isn't even a strong enough word. But I know once they see the Warriors again, especially in Memphis, it's going to be a huge game because they want to show that they are up and coming. Because I don't remember who it was 
was it Dylan Brooks or Desmond Bain? One of the two who was like, the Warriors are old. Their time is coming to an end. It was Dylan. Yeah, and so I'm excited to see, I guess, this new up-and-coming team versus the old, quote-unquote, team. But in this that instance, I still would have went with the old team just because, I mean, playoff experience definitely would have worked in their favor. But only a couple more questions. Uh, so let's talk some Kyrie Irving, a guy who, as we mentioned, is a magician. He's a terrific player. It's just personal stuff and injuries that make it hard to, for him to be a guy to be relied upon. However, that does not stop pundits from having high expectations for him. With the, For example, Stephen A. Smith said that Kyrie Irving is one of his top MVP candidates. Everybody better brace themselves. Nets are coming back. Maybe they'll be better than they were last year. We don't know yet. But believable or the foolery. Kyrie Irving will be an MVP candidate this season. I can be, I'm going to say believable. If he's able to stay healthy and stay on the court, um, I think Kevin Durant is obviously still one of the best players in the world. But I, I do think that when you add the dynamic that is Kyrie Irving, he could potentially take a spot in the MVP vote. I don't think he'll be like a super, super top series contender, but it's very similar to like the guys that you look up and you see like, oh, they get some, they're getting some traction for MVP, for MVP. Kind of similar to Demar job last last season, where at different points of the season they they garner attention for MVP. Yeah, I'm gonna say believable as well. I think that. We all know that Kevin Durant is the best player in Brooklyn, but I think kind of in terms of style points, I don't think anybody is has a flashier game necessarily than Kyrie Irving. And I think that that's – especially if he can stay healthy and is able to do that on a night-in and night-out basis, I think that that is going to lead to him getting some MVP votes, especially if they are winning. But I wouldn't say I think he's going to win it all per se. But all right, let's talk about a guy who has won it all, and that is Shaquille O'Neal, who an interesting uh, take on Twitter. I want to get your thoughts on. So the take is this. Shaq wasn't the best player in the world either. He was far more dominant. He was by far the most dominant, though. Kobe, T-Mac, Iverson, Garnett, all more dynamic as players. Kobe, I mean, Shaq dominated on brute force and power. Kobe had the skill, those Western Conference finals out, though. Believable or buffoonery, as great as Shaq was, he was never the best player in the NBA. No, he wasn't. He was, he was the most dominant. Yeah. And, like, because of that dominance and how dominant he was, that's what made him great. But I think even you go back to his, his um, MVP season in 2001, like... He was incredibly dominant, but I'm willing to say, like, people still wouldn't say that at that time he was the best player because as throughout the course of his career, he did have individuals that were far more superiorly skilled than him. Kobe, T-Mac, Iverson. MJ, um, especially MJ. Like, you had all those guys, but the thing that set him apart was he was bigger than you. He was stronger than you. He might not. He, 
it's from the standpoint of being a big man, he was faster than you, and it was nothing that you could do to stop him from a physical standpoint. So, the greatest, no, most dominant, yes. Yeah, I would have both. I would agree with you on that. I'll say believable as well. All right, last piece before we close out this bad boy. Damian Lillard, one of those guys who everybody outside of Portland wants him to leave, wants him to go ring hunting, but he will just not do it, especially after signing a big contract extension uh, in the past few months. Um, So he was asked recently about his plans to retire a Blazer, to which he said, yes, I do plan to. I've had my share of people saying, man, you got to get out of there. But I'm the type of person that I'm never marching to the beat of nobody else's drum. I mean, at this point, I find it believable. If you haven't left yet, you might as well retire as a Blazer. Be one of the few guys to only play for one team for their whole career. So I'm going to say believable. I think it happens. Yeah, sad thing is most of the guys that play for one team, they at least get one championship. I don't think Dan's gonna do it, but I do think he'll retire our blazer. Yeah, and I mean, it does suck, but it does. I mean, would you say right now he's the greatest blazer of all time? Because I, I still would probably give the nod to Clyde Drexler, but would you say he's the greatest? It's hard. To, it's hard for me to speak on the guy that I, I, I don't know anything about. So I'm going going as far as Clyde Dressler. Like, I know he's an all-time great, but I don't know much about him outside of the fact that Michael Jordan cooked him whenever they played. Uh, So I'm going to say, yes, I think that might be the best players of all time. That's fair. I... I will only... Honestly, it's shallow of me, but I'm still going to say it. I give Clyde the nod because he won a championship. That's really the thing that edges it out. If you're talking about the specific player and just makeup, sure. But he brought a ring to Portland. That's something that even with at Dame's best, he has not been able to do. So that's where that goes. But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, as always, please should check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content running by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, before we close out this bad boy, anything you'd like to say? Uh, I think my Titans going to pull it out tonight. We're going to see how well that ages uh, after tonight. Um, and. I brought up a money base earlier, but it sucks to be him right now. Very much so. And I wish him the best just because, I mean, it was kind of a shock with how little he was able to produce in Memphis and then with him transferring to Eastern Michigan, which, I mean, I get you want to go back home, but it's like you didn't even want to go to, like, Michigan State or University of Michigan. And now with what's going on now, I mean, I feel for the kid. I mean, I think he's, what, 19? I don't even think he's 20 years old yet. So hopefully he'll get it together. Um, speaking of getting things together, Baltimore, I'm not necessarily giving y'all a pass for this past Sunday. I just don't have the energy to be upset with you. But if you win on Sunday against the Patriots and you win decisively, we'll be good. Uh, go Tigers, go. Rooting for Memphis this week, of course, against Temple. Uh, go Tigers. I think we play in New Mexico. Honestly, it don't matter. We better win. And, uh, yeah, once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.